scripture passage continues in Matthew. So we've read Matthew 1 and we read Matthew 2, and now we are in Matthew 3. This week, this week we're going to hear about the story of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, Change! Change your hearts and your lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. <coughs> John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all over the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourself, Abraham is our, is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water. Those of you who have changed your hearts and your lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hand. He will clean out his threshing area and burn, bring the wheat into the barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that cannot be put out. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to baptize you, yet you come to me. Jesus answered, Allow me to be baptized. This is necessary to fulfill the scriptures. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water, and heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. I am happy with him. The word of the Lord. Some people have weird cousins. I have a weird brother who one summer uh, made $50 eating uh, earthworms. He would bet people. <laughs> Is my mind on it? No. <laughs> How about now? Yeah? Okay. I turned it on. Um, yeah. So he would go like meet people at Hardee's or wherever we were and just say, hey, pay me five bucks and I'll eat this earthworm. And he made like $50 that summer. It was crazy. <laughs> Will you pray with me? God, we come to this place full of things, full of concerns in our hearts, full of things in our minds. It seems to be overwhelming at times. And so we ask as we come to this place that you still those voices in us that are anything but yours that you open up our hearts to new ideas and new possibilities that you give to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh God. Amen. So there's this thing in history research called recency bias. 
And this is the assumption that people that are closest to us are smarter than people who were a long time ago, right? So we tend to think that people from history were dumb because they didn't know as much about us like as we do about like the stars and the planets. We assume they were all idiots when it's just that we happen to have access to things that they didn't have access to, right? It's this assumption that the people who went before us were all just dumb. And they were all bumbling around sort of in the darkness and they didn't really know what was happening. And so, um, you know, we should discount whatever it is that they think. And what this does is it leads us to make some assumptions about history that are not correct. And the reason I got down this rabbit hole is um, I've sort of become fascinated with the, the World War I. You know, the war we don't talk about, the war that never happened. Um, or at least in our minds it didn't happen. Um, and I, they keep talking about the idea of how nobody knows for sure, nobody's real certain how World War I started. Now we were all taught something in history class in high school, which is that World War I started because, anybody remember? Why did World War I start? The Archduke was assassinated. The Archduke was assassinated, right? Now I've watched approximately 355 hours of lectures on the beginning of World War I, and that's about accurate, right Jeremy? Yeah. And every single one of them says, nobody liked Archduke Franz Ferdinand, nobody really cared that he got shot. Right? <laughs> nobody liked him. He was unpopular. He was cousins to everybody in Europe, and pretty much everybody in Europe was happy he was dead. And so if that's not true, then why did World War I start? Right? If that's not true, what we were always told, why did World War I start? And so I have listened and read lots of books and, and those kinds of things because it's been sort of fascinating to me. And the assumption has always been that people were just stupid, right? Germany got, Austria-Hungary got mad at Serbia because they killed the Archduke and then Germany got mad at, at them and then Russia got mad at Germany and then Germany attacked France for some reason that we don't really understand, right? And then England got involved somehow and all of it is just an assumption that nobody really knew what they were doing. And the truth is that, as far as I can tell, and I'm not a historian, but the truth that I've been able to discern is this, that World War I began because everybody knew change was coming. Everybody in Europe knew change was coming and everybody was afraid and so they overreacted a little bit. Now, change was coming for a couple of reasons. First, there had been a lot of revolutions in Europe in the, last, in the previous hundred years, right? We started it because we're the troublemakers, right? The instigators, the American Revolution started it. But then immediately afterwards was the French Revolution and then immediately after the French Revolution was another revolution in France and then Haiti had a revolution and then um, there was a revolution in Germany and then, so right, so if you're the king of all of these countries, what are you worried about? That there's gonna be a revolution, right? Everybody else is getting all uppity and I'm not gonna be king any longer. So. Franz Ferdinand got shot and everybody was concerned this was the first in the step of a revolution. The other thing that was changing was that the Industrial Revolution came along, which meant that the people who had money now were no longer the landowners who'd always had money. See, to be rich in Europe, all you had to do was own a lot of money, own a lot of land, right? Most of us would be incredibly wealthy because most of us own some form of land, right? We would be in the gentry, we'd be like, Lord Elizabeth, can you call me that? I'd like to be Lord Elizabeth from now on, please. Though I don't own any land, technically, so. 
forget that, never mind. <laughs> right, but that's how you owned, that's how you made money, that's who was wealthy, and now the power was changing and the people who were used to be wealthy were not gonna be wealthy anymore. And what happens is when this kind of thing happens, everybody knows it's happening, right? When change is coming, everybody knows. They're not stupid, they're not dumb. They're aware that change is happening and nobody is for sure what the result of that change is gonna be. And so throughout time, there's been two reactions to change in the world and society. The first is that there are some people who want the change to happen faster. So they do everything they humanly possibly can to make the change happen faster. And so they shoot an archduke and start a revolution. Then there's another group that would like the change to happen a lot slower, please. Those are usually the people who are already in power, right? Like the kings were pretty happy and queens were pretty happy being kings and queens and so they would like change to happen just a little bit slower, please and thank you. And what tends to happen is that those two groups disagree about the pace of change and then they get in all kinds of trouble and they start a war and then they start another war because the first war didn't go the way that they'd hoped. And then they started another war and so on and so on because when you can't agree about what change should look like and one of you wants to hurry and one of you wants to slow down, a lot of conflict happens in the middle of it. Now everybody in today's Bible story was aware change was happening. Everybody knew change was happening. Rome had gotten increasingly more violent, increasingly more oppressive. And there had been lots of people wandering around Judea claiming to be the Messiah that was coming. Some of them wanted to start a violent revolution. Some of them claimed to be the Messiah. And they gathered groups of people with themselves and started fights and wars and conflict. And so Rome was cracking down on all these Messiah people. And then you had other groups of people who just said, if you guys could keep your mouth shut and we just kept doing what we'd been doing for a thousand years, then everything will be fine. Rome will forget we're here. So shh. John the Baptist found himself the hinge movement, the hinge point of this change in history. See, John the Baptist went out into the wilderness and he put on the clothes that Elijah wore. And he ate bugs like Elijah, and he stood where Elijah stood in order to claim that he was the one who knew what history was going to turn out to be. And he baptizes people in the water, hoping to bring about the change, to speed it up just a little bit, please. The Pharisees and Sadducees show up, and they would both like the change to happen a little bit slower, please. The Sadducees were... Um, they were not into change. They wanted everything to go back to the way it was before. Everything going back thousands of years. Let's just reclaim what life was like in, I don't know, 1852, and everything will be fine. The Pharisees were okay with change, but only if they could control the change, you know? Like, if we could just have religion that looks like the way we think we should look at, you know? They were okay with that. And John the Baptist was not having any of that. John was saying change needs to happen right now. God is saying change is happening today, right now. Let's make it happen. Let's baptize everybody so everybody can be part of this change. Change is happening. Let's do it. Yay! The Pharisees and Sadducees were like, John, could you keep your mouth shut? Keep your mouth shut. 
And there was a lot of conflict happening, and eventually John will get arrested because of his desire to speed things up. Jesus shows up in the middle of all of that and wants nothing to do with it. The Pharisees and Sadducees and John are standing there arguing with each other, yelling names at each other. John calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. And he says, God is coming to throw you into a giant fire which you will burn in forever. Let's be friends. (laughs) And the Pharisees and Sadducees just want John to shut up. And they say, we're going to take you and we're going to throw you in jail if you just won't shut up. And Jesus comes in the middle of that and says, both of you, stop talking. Which if you have more than one child in your family, you have said many times, right? If you would just both stop talking because you're arguing about nothing. Jesus wants nothing to do with it. He says, I am the change. Neither one of you gets to decide what's happening in the world. Neither one of you gets to choose what God is making happen in this world. I am the change that is happening and you guys get no say. John, will you just baptize me so I can begin? Jesus wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to speed things up. He doesn't want to slow things down. He wants to do things in God's time. I am the change, Jesus says, and you guys, neither one of you, have the right to claim me. I claim myself. Jesus was not interested in the conflicts that they were having with each other. Jesus was not interested in that argument. Jesus didn't really want to be invested in either side. John has wor- Jesus has words for John, and Jesus has words for the Pharisees, and both of them are, you don't know what you're talking about. Sit down. And it turns out that when we try to speed up change or slow down change, all we do is cause trouble. Because when change happens, it's on God's timetable and not ours. Now, I say this knowing that if somebody hadn't stood up in the 50s and said, what are you guys talking about? This is, not a ju- this is a justice issue. Women should be able to be in pulpits just like men. That if somebody hadn't chosen that time to initiate change, then I wouldn't be standing here today. And so I know that I was a recipient of somebody else's choice to make change happen and a beneficiary of that. And so it is easy for me to say that change should slow down. It's too much for me to handle. But if you're on the other side of that change, you just want it to speed up, right? If you're on the other side of the change that needs to happen, you just want it to go faster. But all things, everything happens in God's time. And when we think that we know when things should happen and how things should happen, then we better be sure that we're listening to God's voice in that. We can stop, we can stand in the world and yell stop or speed up, but none of that's going to change the pace at which God is choosing to change the world. We claim the mantle of Jesus all the time. We claim it as our own, but we need to be careful that when we're claiming that voice and when we're saying that we are the voice of God in the world, that we really are the voice of God in the world. That we're not just speaking for our own self-interest. I don't know, sometimes it's hard to know whether you are causing holy trouble or whether you're just causing trouble. 
but it requires the humility to know that sometimes we're just causing trouble. Now we've got to listen for God's voice. When we get on God's train, then the change that comes in the midst of that is holy. And it brings more people closer to God. And so I think we should stop standing in the wilderness and screaming at each other quite so much. I think that we should take the time to listen for God, to wait for God's change, to listen for God's voice and make sure that we are on God's timetable. That we're walking at the pace that God is choosing to walk. And so for some of us, we need to slow down a little bit. For some of us, we need to speed up a little bit. So I invite you to listen to God and hear what God is speaking to you today. Where is God setting the tempo on your change treadmill? Is it time to speed up? Is it time for you to slow down a little bit? Amen.